You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host... Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And hey, everybody out there. We're in December. How the heck is it going for everybody? How's it, how are you doing? Are you surviving the Christmas season? Oh, and wait, hold on a second. Can I say it now? Oh my gosh, because of Trump, I can say this. Mary, I'm not even going to. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I'm not even going to justify that load of BS that somehow we're not allowed to say Merry Xmas this time of year. But now we are because Trump has allowed us to. Oh my gosh. He's so good with words. He's allowed us to use words again because he has so many good words. Like when he says, God bless the United of America. Yeah. Anyone catch that? The denture fail or stroke fail or dementia fail that we had last week. Oh, my gosh. But how can we say Merry Christmas if we can't keep our teeth in our mouth? I don't know. I have no idea. It's something I'll be trying to get to the bottom of this hour or not at all because I really don't care. But yes, how about this? I'll just go ahead and lay this out. Mary 2017 in the Trumpiverse. I mean, we're essentially kind of living in the upside down world from Stranger Things. Hey, if you're still alive right now, if you kind of, you know, go ahead and check your wrist and still have a pulse, you've survived. You've done better than Barb. What? What? You've done it. Yes. Yes, you've survived the demogorgon that is president as we sit here and stand at the end of the year in a very weird and chilly and bizarre world type of a year that we have, yeah, survived, made it through, taken lots of Xanax in order to get to this point. However you've done it, I want to tell you, You've made it. You're still alive. And that's good. I mean, really, it kind of feels like we're living in The Walking Dead, where essentially, as long as you don't get bit by a walker, life is good, right? You keep going to fight another day. (laughs) That's where we're... (laughs) That's where we're at right now. 2017 has been a real bitch of a year. But guess what? If you're listening to the show right now, you know, we've survived it. And guess what? I'm even coming to you talking right now in this show with a ruptured eardrum so I can only hear half of myself. And then the other half of my brain, I hear weird echoes and gurgles. So great. But you've done it. You've made it this far. And I will tell you, it will get better. 
at least that's what I keep telling myself. That's my mantra. That's how I get up in the morning. That's how I keep moving forward. That's how I keep going. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we can live in the Trump world and continue to exist and survive, thrive, maybe? That seems a little generous right now. But we're still living. We're still here. But also, as you're listening to this, we still don't know what the polls are in Alabama with our delightful GOP candidate, Pedo. 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 Not Geppetto, but like seriously, just pedophile Roy Moore is, is, yes, this is the day of doom. The day that we see if Alabama actually matters for being a state in the United States. I mean, really... Up until this point, the only reason Alabama has still existed is because of Nick Saban, uh, because Alabama football and nothing else. But, man, I don't know what this day will unfold. I don't know what will happen within this day. But we can stir hope that what the Alabama inbred establishment We'll do the right thing. Maybe. Maybe. It's kind of like the snowball's chance in hell. Or kind of if you're living in Chapel Hill and Carborough, whatever we called snow this last weekend. It's that kind of a chance in hell that Roy Moore isn't going to get in. But we'll see. And we'll see. And essentially, you'll hear my response to whatever happens next week. Tune in, folks to see what happens. And this is a non-spoiler within a non-spoiler, but Carl! What happened, Carl? Oh, gosh. If you're a Walking Dead fan, you feel my pain. You do. You do. But this hour is not about my pain. Well, it kind of really is, because I'm the dude with the microphone. But let's go ahead and move on because I want to enter into kind of a period here. You could call it, if you're kind of going back to your creative writing classes that you took, were forced to take in high school or college, um, called, you remember when you would do this exercise, stream of consciousness? No, I'm not talking about a stream like the PP tapes for the president. I'm talking about a stream of consciousness, like being able to kind of let her rip the things that are in your brain, that are in the frontal lobe, that are vibrating loudly. <laughs> Let's go ahead and do that. Because I had this weird thought, and most of my weird thoughts on our show, they come from odd conversations that I have for my wife when we're unwinding in the evening. Glass of wine, glass of beer, you know... And we had this odd conversation, which, 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 if we're counting our Christmas blessings, I will count my Christmas blessing first and foremost for my wife that puts up with me on a regular basis, that somehow understands my own insanity, maybe even better than you guys in the Snarkiverse. And we were talking about this. We were talking about Roy Moore, which we've already mentioned in the show. And, you know, honestly, I have a kind of a policy here on the show 
that we can only talk about really one pedophile running for the Senate at a time. So I'll make sure I only focus it on Roy Moore. You know, the dude that looks like Woody from Toy Story. And his little cute leather vest. He's got his little gun, his little six-shooter at his side. And every girl that's not prepubescent at the mall, look out, it's Roy Moore time. Yeah, that Roy Moore, you know that one? Yeah, that guy. So I was trying to envision this. So I know that Alabama is embattled in this runoff election. Thanks, Jeff Sessions. I mean, if you could find someone worse than Jeff Sessions, to, <laughs> it'd be Roy Moore. And, but think about this. So I know that people get caught up in the nitty-gritty, the details of what's happening in this electoral process. But think about this, because most of these accusers that are coming out against Roy Moore for him being grabby, grabby, touchy, touchy, creepy, creepy, pedo, pedo, or whatever words you want to say in quick succession that describe this creepy old dude that I would not consider to be a babysitter for my children anytime soon. I mean, if like my top three babysitters canceled, maybe I'm joking. Because again, my wife has also told me to remind our listeners of Snarky Faith, you're listening to a show called Snarky Faith. So most of this is going to be sarcasm. So if you can't read sarcasm, you probably should quit listening right now. Because if you're taking anything that I'm saying seriously in this moment, you shouldn't. And if you take me seriously, this show is really weird and sick and awful. But if you don't take me seriously, it's fun and it's full of frivolity. It's total words for the season that we're in. But think about this. Think about this. Here's my one idea that I wanted to tease out. I wanted to kind of like think about this. So what if like, let's think this through. What if Roy Moore, like let's just push him forward into the 2000s. Let's push him forward in the, to the 2017s. So let's just say Roy Moore is a district attorney or assistant district attorney, um, which I like to call Roy Moore being an ass district attorney because that's how I like to, you know, put the period when I describe things. He's the ass in this situation. Ass meaning assistant, so this isn't actually swearing. Um, think about Roy Moore, what we know of Roy Moore so far with all of these accusations. Let's think about if he tries to pull this crap in the 2017. So we have instances where he has a cold a girl that he was quote unquote courting, courting, stalking, being a creeper, being a pedophile, whatever it was. Um, he literally called her high school to be able to reach out to her. Now, let, let's think about how this would have transpired in 2017. This is, this is one of the fun things that I do here. And so imagine the response, because I know you have lots of people in Alabama. I've been watching this. I've been, I've been, I have been very woke and aware of this Senate race. And, but think about this. Because you have lots of people saying, why did all these women take so long to be able to accuse 
judge Roy Moore of these kind of sexual issues and impairment. Yeah, people like to say, well, why is it taking 40 years for this to come out? Well, some of it happens to be the fact that we live in a very different time. And things are very different now. So can you imagine Roy Moore giving a ring ring um, to a girl, pulling her out of math class, trig class, as I remember, um, to be able to call her up at the school so he can try to set a date, a creeper, a Cosby. I don't even know what you want to call it anymore. Um, with these kind of guys, <laughs> you don't want to call it anything more with Roy Moore. But when we hear these things, I mean, think about how this would have transpired. So you'd have this young woman, unassuming, being called out by, again, old creepy man. And most probably what she would have done is, what, uh, tweeted? Because, again, if she's in high school, she's not going to Facebook anything because Facebook is essentially dead if you're under 25 or 30. I don't know. Uh, but this thing would have also come out and let's say she Snapchats this and then a bunch of other people see it. Back in the day, nobody sees it. It's just a weird thing that this happened to this girl. <laughs> and we just call it, oh, this is what happens in Alabama. That's what happened. Or if Roy Moore were to kind of give you a little bit of a suggestion or suggestive note in your yearbook, <laughs> that's Instagram worthy. <laughs> We've already got Snapchat, uh, Instagram, or if he continues to creep on you as you are in the mall, you may tweet it out. See, these kind of problems would not be happening today. Why? Because we have social media. And as I've spoken extensively on the show before, social media is kind of a double-edged sword. But in this case, oh my gosh, can you imagine this? And this is all I want you to imagine. Um, especially for those people that would deny that this is a big issue. Because, again, remember Roy Moore is saying, I didn't date a girl that I didn't go ahead and get permission from her mama first. What? 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 Really? Like, a grown man in his 30s getting permission from someone's mama to date their teenage girl? <laughs> that may be Alabama regular, but that's not everywhere else regular. I mean... If we're talking about regular or not regular, that's probably like that's probably like way too much for Arkansas or like Mississippi. That's whoa, what is this guy doing? What is he trying to prove? But in the rest of the world that isn't living in the inbred times or kind of, you know, toothless and living in the hills, that's effing creepy. And I would have just loved to have seen this whole scene play out within social media culture. We would be living in a very different world. Roy Moore would be sending her pics of his... What? Ten Commandments monuments that he's put up there because he's wanting to show her how big his monuments are to the Ten Commandments. It would have been glorious. And yes, I also say this with deep sarcasm. Because, again, must I remind you, you're listening to a show called Snarky Faith. And if only we could have seen this played out. I mean, someone could probably make a video somewhere about this and make it quite hilarious and viral and etc. But we are living the 2017s. 
at least for a couple more weeks. And oh my God, oh my God, can we get out of 2017? Because this has been a year that has essentially, for me, ideologically felt like a prison shower because we have been surrounded by sexual predators. And yes, yes. So in order to transition from (laughs) such lighthearted cocktail talk about sexual predators and pedophiles, because that's what we do here, we're going to go ahead and transition over and talk to other predators and pedophiles and creepers like Donald Trump. Because guess what? You know what's happening this week? You know what's happening? It's glorious. It's glorious. It's one of the things I've been waiting for. This is my Christmas present. If I'm opening my advent calendar for a piece of chocolate, oh my gosh, it's going to look like Trump because now, 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 finally, in all of this, through all of this excruciatingly predatory creepiness that has been happening in the news with men being disgusting and horrible and not being able to keep their junk in their pants because somehow zippers don't work or logic or reason doesn't work or decency doesn't work or misogyny does work when you're in a position of power? I don't know. But that is my one hope for the end of 2017, especially as we've seen through like the Time Magazine uh, person or persons of the year for those folks that are calling out sexual predators, sexual people that are using their power to inflict harm upon the innocent. What we are seeing this week is we're having Trump's accusers come up and speak out again and again and again. We've seen other senators, Al Franken, drop by the wayside. We've seen other people, the Weinsteins, all of them go away. Kevin Spacey's goodbye, goodbye, 2017 says. (laughs) Don't let the door hit you on the way out. But now my hope is being able to see that our predator-in-chief is going to have a little day of reckoning because... As much as I'm hopeful about this, this is like me. I'm a guy. I hope. I hope. I hope. Which is why I hate presents. And I'm just going to give you a little diatribe on this. I, I'm a person that I really hate getting surprise gifts. I do. Because I was raised in a time where I had weird and awkward parents that would try to build up birthdays and Christmas only to let me down once again. And you may say, oh my gosh, this kid, he's such a brat kid. (laughs) I'm 40. Thank you for calling me a kid. No, that's not what I'm saying. But no, I've been accustomed to having a weird, bizarre upbringing into this world, which you could probably have already taken that into consideration if you've listened to the show for any time. That This guy's not sane. He's off his rocker, but he does have a microphone and a time slot. So guess what? Suck it. I'm the guy with the microphone. I'll hearken back to one of my own personal stories. I remember this like it was yesterday. The devastation like it's still real. My mother had told me. I grew up, okay, back back story. I grew up as a child of the 80s and 90s. And I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Because as you can tell from my accent, I'm from the South. People tell me that all the time. You're not from the South. But I am? Why don't you have an accent? I don't know. I just don't. But I remember this. So I grew up 
and any kid that's grown up around Atlanta and has been embraced in Atlanta sports, we all understand what it's like to be a loser. We all understand what it's like to almost be a winner and then be a loser. So yes, that tells that tells you something about me that yes, I grew up watching the Atlanta Braves. I remember there was one Christmas, one fair Christmas. This is only a simple example in a very large pot of examples. And where I remember my mother saying, I've bought you something special. I've gotten you a special Atlanta Braves. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like nine at this time. Really? I'm thinking of all the things it could be. Maybe it's a signed ball. Maybe it's uh, a jersey. Maybe it's a hat. Maybe it's something. And then Christmas morning comes up and I open this glorious box. And it's literally an Atlanta Braves box of tissues. I'm not joking. Like, I wish. I wish. I wish I could I could do this. It was. We weren't a poor family. But the highlight of my Christmas was being able to sob up my tears for my presence with an Atlanta Braves tissue box, officially. Wonderful, wonderful. But what I don't want to do this Christmas is stop up my ears. No, I don't. I've moved on. I'm old enough now where I can buy my own presents or at least instruct my family what to buy me for Christmas. And you know what I want for Christmas? Oh my gosh, Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller, are you listening? I want to sit on your lap at the mall and say, oh my gosh, Robert Mueller, I want an impeachment for Christmas. But that may not happen just yet. Um, but in speaking about all of this and Christmas wish lists, you know what we should talk about? You know what we should? We should talk about Israel. And, oh my gosh, we've talked about this before, but right now, it kind of really makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about the Christians' response to Israel and Donald Trump in the mix. Oh my gosh. Can we do it? Yes, we should. Should we do it? Sure. Because, again, I have a microphone and you don't, and I'm going to continue to talk about this. But before we get to that, we need to have our little moment, our little special edition of Trump's robocall. Yes, Trump's robocall that he set up for Roy Moore to help Roy get in because apparently sexual predators stick together. Like, they may have letter jackets or leather jackets or some sort of jackets, or maybe it's a card. I don't know. But they do this. They stick together. So I'll give you a snippet of Trump's robocall, and sadly, his dentures stay in the entire time. But I'll give it to you with a little bit of a snarky flair. So let's go ahead and listen to that, and then let's talk about Israel. Hi, this is President Donald Trump, and I need Alabama to go vote for Roy Moore. It is so important. We're already making America great again. I'm going to make America safer and stronger and better than ever before. But we need that seat. We need Roy voting for us. I'm stopping illegal immigration and crime, rebuilding a stronger military and protecting the Second Amendment and our pro-life values. But if Alabama elects liberal Democrat Doug Jones, all of our progress will be stopped cold. But I'm a
was really odd in how much Trump sounds like Tom York at the end of this. But it did actually make sense that Trump is a creep and a weirdo. And what the hell is he doing here? <laughs> he doesn't belong here. No, he doesn't. Okay, so now, 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 let's talk about Christian's obsession with Israel. Or, if you're more holy, you pronounce it Israel. Because that's just a little tip. I've been a bastard. I've been around the whole Christian industrial complex. And that's really, if you want to sound more holy, you say it's Israel. Kind of like how they say that you you say amen, but you sing it amen. 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 Because I'm just giving you guys tips. Tips on how to fit in. Uh, with the corrupt church in your area. This is how you do it. It's wonderful. So let's talk about Israel. But before that, and I know I've done these false starts and stops all episode, but that's just what's happening today. If you want to send me a present for Christmas, and I know you do. I know all of my listeners, all of my fans out there are saying, what do I send Stuart for Christmas? I'll make it very simple. You can go to www.needtoimpeach.com and put your name on the list. Put it on there because really 2018 would be more glorious without the orange evangelical messiah continuing to wreak havoc in all areas of the world. I mean, you thought he was only wreaking havoc in the United States, but... After a simple press conference with his dentures falling out, he's also wreaked havoc in the Middle East. Yes, Israel, Palestine, or insert whatever it sounds like to blow things up. Yeah, because I thought, I thought Jared Kushner's job amongst his many jobs was to make sure that we solve peace in the Middle East in a very a very fastidious manner. And thus far, Kushner, you're not getting my top grades, my friend. Uh, You blank slate of a human being. You've not done it. But your father-in-law had to step in and really just kick the hornet's nest around and then leave. Yeah. Israel. Christianity. Christianity. Israel. What is our obsession? Why do we get a hard-on over Israel? Let's talk about that now. So all of this came about, all of this came about recently when Trump decided to name Jerusalem as the capital, the main city in Israel. And I'm going to take this through. This, This is a, what is this? This is a post from Progressive Secular humanists of patheos.com and they begin their article like this and we'll get, we'll dive into some more with this but conservative christians cheer after gop lawmaker predicts that moving the u.s embassy to jerusalem will usher in armageddon i mean armageddon who doesn't love bruce willis steve buscemi and ben affleck i mean Liv tyler also I mean, really, like we all love 
that movie for its cheesy horribleness. Yes, and at a Trump rally in Pensacola, Florida, yes, they offered a disturbing look into the end times fantasies of many Trump-loving conservatives. And I'm going to go back to quoting this article. After the rally, Florida State Senator Doug Broxon suggested that Trump's controversial decision to move the U.S. Embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to, to Jerusalem may usher in the Armageddon. And the crowd, they cheered. <sighs> the article continues. Senator Broxon was one of several individuals introducing Trump to the receptive crowd. And at one point in his introductory speech, the Republican lawmaker praised Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as the capital of Israel as a win for the people, declaring, this is a quote in a quote, now I don't know about you, but when I heard about Jerusalem, where the king of kings, applause, uh, where our soon coming king is coming out of Jerusalem, it is because President Trump has declared Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel. So you gotta love this. Oh, so Trump causing a major snafu, F up, whatever you wanna label this. It's great, Christians. It's great, evangelicals, because it's gonna bring the beginning of the end. And if that means the beginning of the end in evangelical circles. Let's go ahead and think this through. So as much as you thought, I'm saying as much as you, you evangelicals, white evangelical Republican voters, as much as you wanted to declare that Trump is your man after God's own heart, you're also saying that he's ushering in the apocalypse. Wouldn't that kind of make him the dumbest antichrist ever? I mean, I'm I'm going for that. I mean, yeah, has he screwed stuff up? Yeah, is he a moron? Yeah, is he bringing the end of the world? In many ways, he is. But I love how evangelicals hear stuff like this, and they applaud. Yay! Yay! Having their own weird, wet dream fantasy of the... Apocalypse? And the article continued saying, theologian and scholar... Dr. Diane Butler-Bass wrote a brilliant and succinct Twitter thread explaining the significance of the U.S. Embassy in Israel um, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem for evangelicals and the apocalypse. Here's what Diana uh, Butler-Bass said. I suspect that the most secular commentators do not understand the religious dimensions of this story. For decades, conservatives and uh, conservative evangelicals have been longing for this recognition, they believe it is necessary in order to regain the control of the Temple Mount. That is right. And Bass continues saying, this is important because rebuilding the temple is the event that will spark the events of the book of Revelations and the end times. Of all the possible theological dog whistles to his evangelical base, this is the biggest. Trump is reminding them that he's carrying out God's will to those last days. They've been waiting for this, praying for this. They want war in the Middle East, battle of Armageddon, at which Jesus Christ will return to the earth and vanquish God's enemies. If you're, can you, at least, this is my own aside in the middle of these quotes that my tone should be mocking, heavily, heavily mocking, because I think people, and they're really having issues with context and theology here. 
And again, I think Bass is also playing with this. For certain evangelicals, this is the climax, uh, climax of history. And Trump is taking them there the pro uh, to the promised judgment, to the sure victory. The righteous will be ushered into heaven. Uh, the reprobate will be banished to hellfire. This is my own emphasis added. People believe this, be really believe this, uh, have given their lives these ideas, sing about them in their churches, evangel evangelize others, and teach them in Sunday schools. Bottom line. This is, uh, uh, this is fin finishing part of what they have in this post here. Bottom line, many conservative Christians believe that moving the U.S. Embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem is setting the stage for Armageddon. And that makes Trump lovers cheer. Yay! End of the world. Yay! Because, okay, back to Stuart. This is back to Stuart here. Back to me. Is Trump, in certain sense, ushering in the end of the world? Well, yes. Let's pull out of climate change uh, agreements. Let's Go ahead and not give two flying Fs for the middle and working class. Let's just dump all the money into the wealthy. You want to begin to bring the end of our planet? Sure. Is this something that God has to do with? I would wholeheartedly tell you, no, no. This is what some a-hole um, or actually many capitalist one percenter a-holes have actually ushered in on their own. So let's not put God in the mix of this. Let's not try to make scripture uh, be the basis for this crazy batch, crazy type of response for this. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and pivot over, pivot over to a bit of sanity. And this comes from an article from Gary M. Burge um, in The Atlantic when he says, uh, the title of his article is, "Can uh, You Can Be an Evangelical and Reject Trump's Jerusalem Decision. Conservative evangelicals, here's like the side note, uh, may see the embassy move as in line with their reading of Scripture, but there is more than one way to read Scripture and more than one Scripture to read. Oh, snap, Gary Burge, Gary and Burge, bringing out the burns here. Because, Gary, we haven't even delved into your writing piece here. But you are already on point, my friend. This is something that has been, I want to say, more of a metaphorical case of crabs to my theology. Not a literal. Not a literal, you know, my garden's pretty clean. But this is more of a metaphorical case of crabs that I've had with theology and evangelical Christianity for a while because it just itches, it's annoying, and it's just wrong and shouldn't be there. Is the way they like to choose to read scripture. Because there's a big deal, and I, I know I've mentioned this like thousands of times before, but I will hearken this back to the days of my youth, back when I was less than 40. I was finishing up my master's degree, Fuller Seminary, and I had the opportunity to take a extension class not through Fuller Seminary. I will not tell you which seminary this was through, but I had like, I had like a class or two to go, and I was like, yeah, I'll go to a different seminary if I can pay much less for this class. And I remember this was a class on like kind of the history of the church and and things of that nature. 
very small class. I'm sitting in the midst of this, and the professor is asking about how do we read scripture? How do we read scripture? And they're saying, oh, everyone's giving the pat answers. And I raise my hand because I do and ask a question that thoroughly pissed off the instructor who I will, well, to give you a slight bit of context without giving you too much context, uh, kind of was a big deal in the denomination that this seminary had this class for. Um, again, I was there because it was cheap and next to free for me to take this class and I filled an elective. But I said, well, where do we weigh context? Where do we weigh context when, um, in the reading of scripture? And it's one of those moments, if you've ever seen somebody, like you say a word and it's like their trigger word and they get like angry immediately, even though it's a situation where it seems quite innocuous. But, you know, like everyone's like chill, asking questions, talking about stuff. And like the whole, like the wrinkles come up on the back of their neck and they're like, Bleh! that was the moment. I got shut down so fast and enjoyed every moment of it um, of saying, no, no, context can be used for justifying any number of sins. And we can't take that uh, when we read scripture. And for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to say anything because again, I'm getting this class to be able to finish a credit so I can finish my master's degree here. But yes, and for many evangelical Christians, when you begin to enter in this devious, devious, evil word of context into scripture, it can be very scary because evangelicals believe this. They believe there's only one way to read scripture because you read scripture in your native tongue because God somehow wrote it in your native tongue and scripture speaks for scripture. You just read it and the words speak what they speak and has nothing to do with historical context, uh, situational context, or whatever is happening in that particular situation, especially when you begin to read things like the New Testament where you have the majority of the New Testament where uh, the Apostle Paul is writing letters to churches, and the way the New Testament includes this, the, these letters are one-sided letters. We don't get the other side of why he was writing the letters, uh, the responses to these letters, or anything else in that mix, and so you're kind of reading one side of a conversation. And when you read one side of a conversation, it's kind of let you're left wondering, okay, I mean, there's there's good stuff in here. I'm not going to dismiss this, but I would like a little context in trying to figure out what, what the whole argument or what the whole conversation or the dialogue is going on here. Yeah, that kind of thing. Or even when you're reading the Old Testament, like why, why is... Why, I'm sorry, why is why are the children of Israel going through this? Why are people going through this story? Or why is this author saying this? What is this author going through? What is the backdrop of that? You know, that whole idea of context, which is horribly and importantly important in these situations. And I remember being roasted for this. And this is already what, what Burge or Brug, maybe? Because again... Anyone is a long-time listener of the show, they realize <laughs> I'm phonetically illiterate. But I'm going to go ahead and just set this article up because I think it's quite excellent. And I will quote the author in this. Few developments could have excited President Trump's evangelical base more than his intentions to move the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. 
This base came through for him in the 2016 elections with 81 percent, 81 effing percent. Stewart's emphasis, not the author's. 81% of white evangelical voters voting for him. He promised, when he promised during his campaign that moving the embassy was high on his agenda and even said that it'd be one of his first acts as president, many evangelicals cheered. Oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. Evangelicals oh, like Franklin Graham that are wanting to go do rallies in England and pastors in England are rallying against him being able to come and then Franklin Graham is sobbing quietly, saying, why don't they want me to come here? And the evangelicals, I'm sorry, the church leaders in England are saying, well, because when you talk like a bigot, you walk like a bigot, you are a bigot. And we don't want your inflammatory speech coming over here. Franklin Graham, sorry. End my aside. Um, continuing with his article quote here, but he, other evangelicals, myself included, were cautious viewing this move as, as an idea that needs to be left on the shelf. And they are worried now, despite media portrayals giving the impression that evangelicals have one point of view when it comes to Israel, in reality, there's a wide range of per uh, perspectives. So the article continues by quoting what God says in Genesis 17:8, And where he says, the whole land of Canaan, uh, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And as evangelicals read these kind of scriptures, especially like Genesis 12, 13, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those, uh, and, I, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And they see this, evangelical voters see this, as some sort of word, some sort of omen, some sort of speech that has a protection of Abraham's tribe. And when you delve into the evangelical world and when you speak of Israel, um, especially biblically speaking, you are not speaking about the geopolitical boundaries of the country of Israel. And this is one of the major problems I have with the evangelical Christians out there is that they don't read scripture in context because what, I mean, my dates may be off, but is then the nation state of Israel was around what? 48, 49, 1948, 1949 when it was established, I may be off by a few years on this, but when we begin to talk about this, this is not the same Israel that God speaks about in the Bible. And that's a huge issue there. Uh, because most white evangelical conservative Christians are not very educated when it comes to the Bible or educated in general, um, it's easy to be able to read the Bible at face value and begin to make these, not even make these statements, it's really get behind other people's statements. And, and a lot of this comes from the idea that evangelicals have this high regard for the Bible. And in the Bible, we have many stories um, about the rise and the fall of the children of Israel. And they end up believing that the children of Israel have this special place in the heart of God. Now, I'm not going to even argue that, but what I am going to argue is a fact. Um, I'm going to argue the fact that the Israel that is spoken of in the Bible is not the Israel that is a nation state that we speak about today like in geopolitical climates. Um, do they share the same name? Sure they do. 
And do I have issue with Israel here? I have no issue with Israel. I've got, I've got, I've really got nothing in the game here. And, 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 and my issue with, with being able to point this out and be able to have a conversation around this comes from the fact of this is that many people are voting politically and otherwise based upon what they're basing their very shallow reading of the Bible and of Scripture. And these people believe that Israel has some sort of special place in the history of God's people. And so, because Israel in the Bible has the same name of the nation state of Israel, oh my gosh, this is important. And we must support Israel. We must be behind everybody that is supporting Israel, even a crazy, predatory, lecherous president that's covered in orange and has dentures that fall out at a moment's notice. And so they have this belief that the end is nigh, that we are moving towards the end, which again goes back to the fact of why evangelicals could give two craps about climate change and otherwise, because they believe um, in their very narrow reading, in their very unscriptural reading, in their very uneducated reading of the Bible, they believe all of this points to the second coming of Christ. Now, my issue with all of this is simply this. Bible also says, we don't know when the return of Christ happens. And we don't even know what that means completely. Is it ideological? Is it physical? Is there a specific time where Jesus comes riding down on the clouds on a white horse and he's like, all right, people, you're all going to hell and you're all going to heaven. No, it doesn't. But it all depends upon how you read scriptures. And as we've talked about this many, 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 many times before, you can make scriptures interpret whatever the hell you want them to interpret based upon you kind of henpecking or having what I like to call nugget theology. Nugget theology means I'm going to pick isolated blurbs of scripture and make them apply to what I want to believe. Let me say that again. Nugget theology is when people pull isolated quotes, snippets, verses of scripture and use those scripture, scriptures to apply to whatever they're looking to justify. And that is a very dangerous reading of biblical text. Why is that dangerous? Well, because you can use the Bible to justify anything you want. Anything. If you just go and pull isolated scriptures and you leave out the context and you don't even care what they're honestly trying to say in those in the scriptures. No, no, you can pull it out and say, oh my gosh, this is for me. This is my life scripture. God, God said this to me. There's a famous scripture that bothers the hell out of me that Christians love to quote on social media and otherwise, where in Jeremiah, God says, I have plans for you, says the Lord, plans to make for you and prosper you. And those are scriptures that were intended for Jeremiah. Does that mean anybody else can claim them? I mean, you can claim anything you want. I mean, I can claim that if I snap into a Slim Jim, that my life is going to be better. I can claim that if 
I call Geico, I'm going to save 30% on car insurance. I can claim whatever I want to claim. Those are just emptiness uh, when I just spout those things out. But to read Scripture carefully, especially if you want to say that you have a high regard for Scripture, needs to be Scripture that is read in context of the time, the period, and why the author is saying this. This is kind of like literature 101 if evangelicals ever went to college. But they didn't. Or they went to a Christian college, which really doesn't count. And we begin to see this. We begin to see this weird, sick romance between the church and Republican politics. And this excitement, this foreplay of moving the U.S. Embassy. Now, let's, let's talk about what we've seen so far. As, as Trump has even just stated this, we've seen rioting in the streets. We've seen Palestinians that are feeling mm, marginalized. I mean, again, guess what? Our, uh, our president has never marginalized any group of people. Let's go ahead and say that. Wait, oh... I'm sorry, rewind, the opposite. Our president is very good at marginalizing people. Our president is very good at dividing people. Our president is very good at being on the wrong side of history again and again and again. And we begin to plant our ideals and plant our politics onto a very narrow reading of Scripture we are in a lot of trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. Because really what that, that, that kind of, that, what that amounts to this, and so let's talk about the, the evangelical movement. So it's kind of amounting to this. It's amounting to, let's, let's go ahead and say someone wants to start a movement. They never finished having a elementary grade education. Like they just said, no, nah, I'm good. I can read, basically. I can do math, kind of good. And they would say it in that manner because I can do math good is not really good English. But I can use my fourth grade education to be able to interpret something that is very deep, something that is very cultural, something that has been translated many times. No, but I can, uh, no, no, I have a fourth grade education and I can read it all and I can know the truth of all this. <laughs> okay, good, go for it. Yeah, that's the problem with evangelicals today. And as the article continues, he says this. He says, Amos, this is Old Testament, Amos 5.24, shows that even the use of the Jerusalem temple can be problematic to God, where God says this, quote, uh, Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the songs of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And the author continues saying, many of us look at modern Israel today and see a country that Amos, that Amos, <laughs> Amos, that Amos would barely recognize. How, uh, how we wonder, could anyone build a bridge from ancient Israel to modern Israel today? Amos would hardly recognize Tel Aviv, um, a city based in the biblical ideals. And I think that's the point he's getting to, is that when Christians begin to read stuff, in very limited nature, when they begin to read stuff only based upon their own culture, their own education, their own narrow-mindedness, you are actually robbing and stealing the richness of Scripture. You're actually stealing the beautiful mystery of Scripture. Because 
Scripture is not meant to be owned. Scripture should own you. Scripture should be something that you wrestle with, that changes you, that confuses you, that frustrates you. It shouldn't be something that you use to justify your actions or justify throwing a bone towards your political base. And because of all of these things, because of all of this, this is horribly stupid on Trump's behalf. I know, I know all of you listening out there, what, Stuart, you're saying Trump is stupid? He did something dumb? No, we disagree. I know, I'm being facetious here. But the problem simply lies in this. It's not Trump. It's that evangelicals have sold their souls for political power because it's easy, because it gives them immediate results, because it creates a situation where they don't have to think, they don't have to wrestle, and they don't have to have faith. And to have a belief system where faith is not part of it, where devotion is not part of it, but you take the easy road where you let other people like politicians walk out your faith and you feel like your faith is justified by just voting for them. That is really problematic. That is why the church in America is facing serious problems and a serious rot from the inside. When you have evangelicals standing up for somebody like we mentioned earlier, like Roy Moore, a guy who is an alleged child molester, who says he's looking to take Alabama morals and values to Washington. If Alabama morals and values include being able to date and molest underage children, that is a sick thing. But what bothers me more about the people that support all of this stuff with Israel and people that support Roe Moore the fact of this, I'm left by asking myself the question, how much of your soul have you sold to get political power? How much of your faith have you taken a dump on and disregarded it to get political power? How desperate are you Republicans how desperate are you evangelicals for a political win that you are willing to sell your soul? Because that is the sad place that you are in. So let us hope, let us pray, let us be engaged that pedophiles like Roy Moore do not get into office and sexual predators like Trump will be stopped at some point. Because the God that I love would not support either of these men or their actions. Well, that's all I've got this hour. Um, if you are looking to connect with us, I love to hear feedback from our listeners. Questions at snarkyfaith.com. You can find this this show and past shows at www.snarkyfaith.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Facebook. Just look up Snarky Faith. That's all I've got this hour, and I will be back again next week. I'm out of here. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of this. WCOM is listener-supported community radio, and Snarky Faith is only possible through our sponsors. 
Lumen, a spiritual community of seekers, sojourners, question askers, doubters and skeptics, is a collective of fellow travelers that embrace the truth that all of life is sacred, hope is real, and tomorrow can be a better day than today. All are welcome. You can find more information at www.lumencommunities.com.